0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swann and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Every time I watch that, Warren, Stacy, thank you for sharing your hearts with us. They they become people of inspiration for me to say, way to go, way to go. And so what's going to happen over the next few weeks, you'll hear many, many different testimonies that, that may look differently because of the different types of iniquities that are handed down to us, but I, I applaud people who stay with it. You know, you find out in, in marriage opposites attract and opposites react, and I remember we weren't married very long, and Shelley said to me one day, you're as ugly as the devil himself, and I thought, well, that's pretty ugly, <laughs> so again, I've been there. I know what that's like just to say we're gonna fight for something. Well, if you're a guest here with us, I'm glad you're here. Go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus 20. We're on the series number two, or series of the blessing, week number two in this. And again, I'm gonna be on it for a while. I'm just gonna wait out here a little bit each week and give you some biblical references. If you're watching on live stream, Welcome to have you, Exodus 20, and then we'll be in the book of John for most of the morning after this. If you've ever studied the Bible, the book of Exodus is where you find the the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to dive right into it. Start with me here in verse number five, Exodus 20, verse five. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now, this is talking about idols. Remember, an idol is anything or any person that substitute what God's supposed to be in our life. Then he says this, this incredible statement here, "For I, the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. I, I'm, I'm a jealous God. What, what does that mean? God's a jealous God. It, it is very similar that to a marriage relationship, that it's, it's based on, I can't be unfaithful. It's absolute trust is what he's talking about. And so when, when we give God our heart, the Lord Jesus our heart, it's like we become married to him. And e- even in my marriage, you know, I've been married. Man, this is crazy for me to say this. I've been married almost 40 years. Pretty impressive. How old were you when you got married? 12? Well, close to that. You do the math. But again, in my my marriage covenant, I I have no desire to share my wife with anybody else. Well, this is is how God is, but in a more depth way. I'm a jealous God. I, I love you so much, I don't want to share you with anybody else. I don't know about you, I thank God that's how my God is. He loves you that much. Keep reading. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities upon the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations visiting the iniquity of the fathers some translation says visiting the iniquities or punishing the iniquities of the father or the parents so when you read this sometimes people have asked me so This doesn't include the mothers. Oh, yeah, it includes the mothers. You know why it includes the mothers? Because the mothers had a father too. So it's all in there. So our point in today is to to define and understand what this word iniquity means. Actually, you heard Warren talk about this, that this was an iniquity in their family bloodline that was passed down. So when I see the word iniquity, It's rooted in the word sinful or or wickedness or bad habits. Habitual, willful patterns or forces in my life. A concrete act, better stated, a a sinful legacy that he said goes from the father to the children to the third and fourth generations. So in, in my life, going in reverse, it would be to me, From my father, from my grandfather, and from my great-grandfather, and then from me going the other direction, it would be me, my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. And so he, he uses the word a generational iniquity. The word iniquity also means to bend or be bent toward something. So when you think about a tree and just say the wind has this pattern that it usually blows out of. After a while, that that tree just begins to bend like this. And this is how it is generationally. That this guy starts this way and he begins to give in to a certain type of sin or wickedness. He begins to bend and what I find out in this, that it gets stronger from each generation. So I'm studying this the other day, and the thought came to me. Can can the force of wind be so strong on a tree that it causes the tree to snap? It can. It can. So when we talk about these things called iniquities, these things are handed down. So now we have the question, how are they handed down? Well, think about this in the terms of genetically, uh, the physical side of my makeup. You, you look like your mama. Ooh, you, you have the eyes like your mama. Your nose looks like your grandmother. And you may have things said about you like that. Well, where does that come from? We know it's handed down genetically. How many of you have ever heard this? Man, he's, he's going to be a tall young man one day. Well, where do they get that from? They can look at their parents and say, man, he's going to be tall because of that. So we understand that. Another area that I think will help you in this area is oftentimes when we go to the doctor. One of the first things the doctor will say, well, tell me your, your family history. Is there any history of cholesterol? Is there any history of high blood pressure? Why do they ask that? because we understand the genetics of this that's handed down. But I believe this the more I study this, and I think biblically you'll see this, this even happens spiritually. Things are handed down to me spiritually. So when I see this term, a a generational iniquity here, I'm given this weakness or this predisposition that's handed to me. And I begin to bend in that area. Let let me share this little story with you. And I believe it will help you. I'm, I'm studying this week. And there's a pastor now who's an older man. And he talked about when he was a young, young boy. And this will date him a little bit. But he said one of the things that changed society. Is when a magazine called Sears and Roebuck started coming in the mail to people. And what happened is people would begin to look at the the, the magazine and they would begin to dream and they'd spend all their time saying, man, I'd like a new washing machine like that. I would like a new refrigerator. Well, this, this man who's telling this story, he says that he remembers this clearly that at the age of four, The Sears and Roebuck catalog comes to his house. Now think about this. If you're four years old, what would be the first area that you would turn to? Man, I jumped on that real quick. I said, I knew where I'd go immediately as a four-year-old. I'd be at the bikes, man. I'd look at the latest and greatest Superman uh, costume. I would have footballs. So you think about those terms. This man said that when he was four years old and that magazine came in, the first place that he turned to was the women's lingerie. And he said he began to look at their undergarments, their bras, everything. And he said, no one ever taught me that. And he said, over the next few years, he said, I I begin to see my life that it was bent to this weakness. So again, he asked this question, where did that come from? How how does that happen to a four-year-old? And so just for a second here, just think about this in your life. Has has there been any predisposition or something that you look and say, man, I, I just bent toward that. I just bent. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means something was handed off to you. And what I like about this is, it's kind of like Warren and Stacy said, the stuff that was handed off to me from my ancestors, I don't have to hand that off to my children. Thank you for that hallelujah there. Again, I've got to begin to understand this. So he says interesting things here. Visiting or punishing the iniquities of the Father upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Those who reject me, they reject the things of God. That's the negative part right there, okay? Verse 6 is the positive. But I show mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So not this week, but the upcoming weeks. I'm going to dive into what verse 6 means. But you get a little nugget. To love God is to obey God. Remember, Jesus said that in John 13, He said, if you love me, obey me. And so something begins to happen as a human being when I say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. Now, go with me to the book of John, chapter 8. And where we're headed this morning, and listen, I'm just going to warn you here. My goal is not to make you feel uncomfortable. My, my goal is not to make you have a, a sin conscience that you think sin, sin, sin. That's not my goal, okay? But we are going to talk about areas of sin today. And it's not not to beat you up. It's, it's to help us understand some things. So as you're turning to John chapter 8, let me reference a couple of scriptures here today that I believe will help you. And it will help you to breathe right now, okay? In the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Apostle Paul said, "All, ALL, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." Now the reason I said, I'm going to help you breathe a little bit, everybody that you're sitting around, actually everybody in this entire sanctuary today, we've all sinned. Whew. You can breathe? Pastor, have you sinned? Oh, I was a champion sinner, guys. I don't say that with great honor. We've all sinned. Now, here's what happens with this area of sin. A lot of times when we talk about sin, we have the thought, well, I haven't sinned as much as Gloria has. And the sins that I've committed, they they don't compare to what Rick's done. No, 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 wait just a second. We've all sinned, okay? We've all sinned. A couple chapters later, Romans 6.23, the Apostle Paul said this, the wages, the compensation, the recompense of sin is death. Better stated in that area, a business of sin is death. So what he tells us here, the consequences of sin Has has dire consequences, a death like existence. So what I see from the scriptures is man, I don't want to live a life of sin. Thank God Jesus came and took care of that. So we're to help us a little, we start in, in John 8, verse 1. Read, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again to the temple. He came again to the temple. Jesus made it a habit of going to church, okay? I believe that's important. It's important for us to get around other believers. You know what you find in the church? And a lot of times you have this thought. Well, church is for perfect people. Well, if that was a true fact, this house would be empty right now, okay? I'm not perfect, but I am saved by grace. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus, and so are you. So again, Jesus comes to the temple. And all the people came to him, and they sat down, and he taught them. Jesus understood the significance of teaching people the word of God. Verse 2, or verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the religious scholars, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst. Now, I begin to picture this and just think this that Jesus is here this morning and he's preaching the gospel to all of us and all of a sudden the doors open and the religious leaders, they come marching in with a woman caught in adultery and right here they stand her in the middle of us. Makes you want to go to church, doesn't it? I can tell you this, I'd never do that to a human being. You know why? I've sinned. I know what it's like to be a sinner. So they march her in. Now keep reading verse 4. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. This woman was caught red-handed in the very act. Now these were the religious leaders. And so I see that they come across like they're perfect. And they, they bring these accusations against this woman. But I'm going to give you a little, a little analogy here that'll really help you in an area. Anytime you point your finger at someone else, Nathan, Nathan, both Nathans right there. Remember this, when you point this finger at them, you got three more pointing right back at you. Be careful. Be careful how you judge people. So they bring her in. Caught in the very act. And again, let me highlight something. Adultery is sin. Adultery is sexual sin, okay? This is what it's talking about. Marital infidelity. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Now, when they quote what Moses said in the law, they were partially right. And what do you mean partially? Well, if you studied Leviticus 20, verse 10, and in Deuteronomy 22, it literally says that when you were caught in adultery, you would be stoned. The reason I said it was partially true is it said this woman was caught in the act. So if she was caught in the act... Where was her partner at? It's always a mystery to me. If they're so gung-ho about throwing a stone, where was he at? And so my thought is this. Was he someone that was highly influential? Did he have a lot of money? And they said, you know what? It's that stinking woman. Let's get her. Let's get her. Let's throw a stone at her. Verse 6. This they said, testing Jesus, that they might have something to which accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers as though he did not hear. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up. They they keep keep on demanding that that he, he render a verdict. And they keep on asking him and said to him, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. The passage translation says it this way. A man who has never had even a sinful thought or desire cast the stone at her first. Just even the very thought of it. Verse 8. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Again, now I don't know about you, but this is one of the reruns in heaven that I really want to see because I've, I've always thought when he stooped down twice and he wrote in the sand, I, I don't believe he was writing stars or some animal figure. Actually, if you're, if you're a studier of the Bible and you write to dig in, there's some reference on this in Jeremiah 17, 13. But you know what it says? That the same finger that wrote the Ten Commandments is the same figure that is writing the accusations against these hypocrites. So let me tell you what I think he's writing. So they're all there watching him, and he's writing in the sand. And if your name is this, I don't mean any harm. But in the sand, he writes J-O-E. L-I-A-R. And Joe's standing there and he looks and he's looking around like, Oh, crap horrific." That's in the Hebrew, okay. (laughs) And then he writes Sally. And next to Sally he writes something. So he's locating everybody. Verse 9. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. They went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. They get the picture. They're in the church. And Jesus starts doing this. And they leave by the oldest, the priest, all the way down. They all start marching out. But the woman's still standing right here in the midst. And the only one left's her and Jesus. And I'm sure she's had this thought. What's he going to do? What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to strike me with lightning? You want to see Jesus' heart? Watch this. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of you? Has, has no one condemned you? Has no one found you guilty? Has no one declared you unfit? Now look what Jesus said. Or she replies back, No, she said no one, Lord. And Jesus said Neither do I condemn you. Now I want to put this in a little bit of perspective. When Jesus said, no one condemn you. And she said, no Lord. She calls Jesus by a divine name. She calls Jesus Lord. Why is that such a big deal? This is a woman who just minutes ago was in the middle of them. Because she's caught red-handed in adultery. And she says, no, Lord. And he responds to the woman who's just caught in sin. And he says, neither do I condemn you. I don't declare you unfit. Now, here's a thought for you. The only one in the room the whole morning that could have declared her unfit was Jesus. But yet, Jesus still didn't do that. And I, I heard one amen. Amen. There should have been a bunch. Because this speaks to me. This speaks to you. You know what it shows? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He's for you. He is for me. I go on singing that song like they were meant to go, but some of you may walk out. I, I love this. Neither do I condemn you. Now, watch what he says. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't give her a license to live in immorality. He forgave her, but he said, go and sin no more. If I had time, I would take you three, three chapters back to John 5, verse 14. And you know what John 5, 14, he's dealing with the man and he says to him, go and sin no more. Lest the worst thing come upon you, a a worse state. Because Jesus understands the the dire consequences of sin is a death-like existence. So this, this woman right here, he completely forgives her, but he says, go and sin no more. So if sin wasn't a big deal, then why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. So what do we do? Look at verse 12 here. Oh, this is so good. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, can I tell you something? The world is in complete darkness apart from Jesus. The, the only way you're gonna walk in light is you gotta give Jesus your heart. You you gotta live for Jesus. That doesn't mean I gotta be perfect. And so how does that look? Well, I believe this with all my heart because the Bible says this, that eternity is etched or sketched in every one of our hearts. Every human being has some form of God in the inside where we know there's gotta be a God. And maybe this defines you right now. I remember as a young boy, a a young man that was messed up in sin. All I did was sin. And there came a time in my life we're getting high and getting drunk. I knew there's got to be more to life than how I'm living. If this is all there is to life, I might as well check out of here right now. I was lost and blind, and a friend of mine came and took me by the hand. So I give my heart to Jesus, and this is how this, this journey begins for every one of us in here. I give my heart to Jesus. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and be Lord of my life, and then I got plugged into a church. And a lot of people say, Well, you can receive Jesus, you don't have to be in church. Well, that's true, partially. But what I found out, when I come to church with other believers, something happens when I worship you with you guys. The Bible talks about one will put a thousand to flee, two will put ten thousand. There's, there's power in unity, and there's real power in unity when it's the red, yellow, black, white, and brown that come together on a Sunday morning. Yeah, clap. I I can just tell you right now, I would quit if the only people who are in here were white people. Not that white people aren't important, but all people are important. And God loves all people. That's not in my notes at all, okay? That's from my heart. So I give my heart to Jesus and I start coming to church. And I start getting taught the Word of God. And my biblical knowledge began to increase a little bit. And Before long, I started obeying the Word of God when the Bible told me, you need to pray. You need to learn to study your Bible. And so what ultimately happens on this journey that I get to live and you get to live when you make Jesus Lord of your life you get to personally witness a God that takes messes and makes miracles. And he still does that to this day. Go with me. Galatians 5. We're getting close to ending. About another hour and we'll be done. Pastor, you're a little ornery at times, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I can get real ornery. I, I enjoy life, guys. I, I don't come to church and pout about. I, I love to come in here i love to see you guys. My my greatest desire is to watch people grow up as believers. When I look and when I hear the the stories of the Warrens and Stacys, we got them all over this house that got great, great stories. You know what I realized? The God who took this mess and made a miracle is the God who took that mess and made a miracle. I'm sorry, I'm pointing at you. I don't mean it. Those three are pointing back. Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand fast. Stand firm, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom which Christ has made us free. Jesus will make you free. I jumped. I cut a lot of my sermon right there. Christ has made us free. Let me quote something to you. If you're taking notes, I cut John 8, verses 31 and verse 32. John 8, verse 32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Is that a true statement? That's a true statement, kind of. What do you mean, kind of? I hear people say that all the time, almost like a quick phrase. You'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, it's partially true, why? If you go back to verse 31, Jesus said this, if you abide in my word, the word abide means you must remain. You must live by the word of God. And so when I live by the word of God, that truth will set me free. But if I'm not going to live by the word of God, you're not going to walk in true freedom. I can tell you right now, you're you're looking at a guy who's walking in freedom because of one, the the power of Jesus, and two, the word of God. I know what it is to be bent toward a generational iniquity, and you'll hear me talk about this in the upcoming months. The first drink or the first time I ever had alcohol when I was 12 years old, I never knew what that first drink would lead, lead to. So I don't have a problem looking at you and saying, I was under a generational curse, a generational iniquity. My grandfather died when he was 50 of alcohol. By the time I'm 17, I am a functioning teenage alcoholic because of that. Well, What happened, Pastor? I got born again. I got born again. And then I got on this journey. And I started reading stuff like this, that Jesus will set you free. He'll set you free. I'm, I'm doing some math in my head. I I haven't had alcohol in me now for 35 years. To God be the glory. Amen. So what began to happen? I'm, I'm not, I will. I will not cast a stone at you. Okay. If if you're hung up by alcohol or drugs, I have a heart for you. Okay. I I know what it is to be a slave to that junk. But growing up, I begin to hear this more and more. You look like your granddaddy and you act like your granddaddy. And you know what I began to realize? I heard the stories. He was a drunk. His livers failed in the 50, 52 years old. And I could tell, I'm, I'm on this course, I'm on this course. So I'm married, I, I, I got a young daughter. And I'm on the verge of losing everything I have, my marriage and my daughter. And when I look back at it, I wouldn't have faltered her one bit for divorcing me. I would have probably said, you were a genius booting me out. But there became some realization within me that knew, I've got to have Jesus help me get free of this or I'm going to lose everything I got. And whoop, here I am. And so I've had people say to me, how? pastor. It's a good question. Jesus came into my heart and he changed me. And I fell in love with this. And so when I read these passages, this is me. This this is what happens to me. Stand fast therefore in the freedom by which Christ has made you free and listen, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, don't go back to that stuff because he's warning me right here. This is a possibility. Just because I've been set free doesn't mean I can put all my guards down and say, Woo, that's in the rear view mirror of life. If you never open the door to alcohol, you never have to shut the door to it. That's a thought for all you young ones. You know, in 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, Flee youthful lust. How many of you have addictions, appetites of the flesh that took place when you were a teenager? Go ahead and raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, I'm going to pray for liars here in a minute. So. Just kidding. Lighten up. So again, I look at that. Man, I, I, I got free from that. I, I, I can't entertain the thought. Same chapter, verse 16. I say then walk in the spirit. And that word walk, listen to what that means. It it implies a a progression or a steady progress in grace. Walk walk in the spirit. So what happens is you're going to have to walk it out. Day by day by day. You just keep walking it out. You keep day day after day after day after day after day. And, And so he says walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let the Holy Spirit begin to move in you. And then he says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things you wish." wish. So guess what's taking place within every one of us? You got this thing called the flesh and you got this thing called the spirit. And it's like a tug of war. Your flesh is pulling you. The Holy Spirit is pulling you. Guess which one wins? The one you pursue the hardest. Pursue God. Pursue God. Now I'm almost ending here. You, you've got to come back next week because we're going to walk through biblically about what I do with this generational stuff. And you you may be a first-time generation person that says, I want to change the patterns in my life, my home. I I want to pass the baton off to my children and grandchildren and say, the the greatest thing my grandchildren could say of me is, that dude lived for God. He lived for God. If in my obituary that's all it says, he lived for God, I'm happy. Now, unless you to stand up on your feet with me. And I know I spit out a bunch here today. Sometimes, you know, these are all on our podcast. You can go back and listen to these. I, I encourage you, get your Bible out. Actually, you can read John 8, 1 through 11, and then John 8, 31 through 36, and it'll really help you, okay? But I got on to some stuff today about how the journey begins. And every one of us in here that Sadder mouth that Jesus is Lord of my life. It all started the same. You know what that is? I went before God and I said, Father God, I believe in your Son, the Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. And in that process, it says, We are to confess our sins. To confess your sin is a powerful thing powerful I heard a man say that he served God for 50 years of his life and he said every now and then periodically he still has crazy thoughts and he said what I've learned to do when I have crazy thoughts is the minute that thought comes I said Father God I I repent I don't I don't want to entertain those thoughts Pastor, do you still have crazy thoughts? I have crazy thoughts at times. And I've learned more and more. Man, I said, uh uh-huh, that's not a God. That's not a God. Some of you have heard me say this. I've been in Walmart before, and I've had the thought, just put that in your pocket and steal it. I thought, who told me that? That's a crazy thought. But when this guy said, immediately when I get crazy, I just said, uh-uh, Father God, I, I confess my sin. So when I talk about getting born and confessing your sin, I, I really believe this with all my heart. Learn to, to be quick to repent. Don't, don't try to justify your sin, don't try to rationalize your sin, don't try to minimize your sin. And Another thing that when it comes to sin, that when you truly repent and you say, Lord, I repent, I don't want to do that, there's a change in your life. There's a change. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but there's a change in my life. And if you don't have a change, you maybe ought to get back in there and really repent. So the first thing I'm going to do today is if you're here today and you want on this journey got to get Jesus in your heart. Jesus won't force you, and it's not my job to force you, but I can tell you right now, the three smartest things I did in my life is, number one, glad I didn't point with my middle finger. I have a tendency to do that. I gave my heart to Jesus. Two, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And three, I married Shelly. All three in that order right there. Something happened when I got born again. This, this debris started falling off of me. If you got around me, you needed a hard hat. If that's you today, you may say, I need Jesus. Or you may be here today and say, man, I, I, I've, I've gone away from Jesus instead of gone toward him. If that's you, I'm going to offer you two things. One, you can come down here if you feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable, I get it. And that way, if you don't, you can just stand right there and say, that's me right now. That's me. I need Jesus. Is there anybody in here today that you say, I need Jesus? Ooh, there's Jesus. I see hands. If you feel comfortable coming down here, if you don't, just right there. Keep your hand up. I I want you with your hand up. I want everybody to see it's you. You know why? Because we're going to celebrate. This isn't a time of embarrassment. This is a time we're going to say, yes. So, all the, yeah, clap, clap to the Lord. God's moving here today. Oh, goodness, 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 goodness. All you with your hands raised, let's just bow our head and get real reverent here before God. Father God, you see hands up all over your house, all over the, the, the different ages. And Father God, you said, that if we would believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus was the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, you said we'd be born again. Now, you, you who got your hands raised, I, I might as well encourage every one of us to say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. I welcome you as Lord today. You got to say this from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of sin. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.